get offended at the easiest, simplest little things. Matter of fact, the reason why we wanted to do this series all about overcoming offenses is because when we are living offended, we are not living free. And so we want you to live free. Jesus wants you to live free. Matter of fact, that's why he came, to set you free. And I don't want you to live offended lives. We also chose to do this series around Christmas because people get really offended when you start messing with Christmas. You know, sometimes I tell people, you know what, I mean, the nativity is great and it's cute and all, but you do know that the three wise men weren't at Jesus' birth. Like scholars will tell you, they showed up like when he was around two years old. I tell some people that, and they're like, I don't want to hear that. Pastor, don't tell me that. Man, you're about ready to tick me off right now. And I really tick them off when I tell them that you do know that Jesus' birthday wasn't on December 25th. Come on, don't even go there, right? Man, we get offended about the easiest things. Matter of fact, today there are people that are living their lives offended by what kind of Christmas trees are in other people's homes. I'm going to be honest. I've actually experienced this. And before I share this quick little story, I'm just curious, how many here tonight, just by a show of uh, just some applause, you guys actually use a real tree at home? for Christmas. All right, we got a few of you guys. What about this? What about an artificial tree? Whoa. A few more people, I think, use artificial trees. Well, growing up, one thing that I remember is my parents would take me and my brothers and sisters out to a tree farm, and they would allow us to pick out the Christmas tree. We were able to cut it down and bring it home. Now, there's just something manly right, about going out. We like feel like we're barbarians or something, going out killing something and dragging it home. And man, I loved it. But then I met my wife, Melanie, and whenever I was first introduced to their family, it was around Christmas, and they had an artificial tree. And I'm saying, babe, what, what is this fake tree all about? Because fake tree, in my mind, equals fake Christmas. Like, this, this ain't right. So we got married, and that first, uh, that first Christmas that we were married, I wanted to make sure that as we went out to pick out the tree, that I just set the tone of our marriage, that I set the tone of who was going to be making the, the decisions and calling all the shots. And so that first Christmas, we went out and we got an artificial Christmas tree. But we get this artificial Christmas tree, and, and, and I'm not lying when I say this, someone sent me an article they sent me an article and they told me that you know that the artificial Christmas tree is only used for an average of seven years, and it's only used one month a year, so that tree gets seven months of use, but it's in a landfill for 700 years. How dare you have an artificial tree? I'm like, bro, it's just a tree. Back off. Calm down just a little bit. And then two years ago, we actually made the switch back to having a real tree. I wanted to have some memories with my boys like I had with my dad. And so I took my boys out to a tree farm. Man, we were able to walk through there, right? Hundreds of trees. We get to the one, they're like, dad, this is it. And I'm like, oh, glory to God. It's, it's amazing. Let's, let's saw it down and bring it home. Would you know that we had people in the artificial tree camp tell us that we shouldn't have a real Christmas tree because you're depriving the earth of oxygen that you're depriving like squirrels and birds of homes. And I'm like, again, bro, chill out. It's just a tree. I bring this up to say that we get offended 
over some small, insignificant things. And we live our lives this way. And when we live our lives offended, we are not living free. Matter of fact, uh, speaking of trees, I found this incredible verse. It's, it's a prophetic verse found in the Old Testament. It tells about how the Messiah is going to come from the town of Bethlehem. But it doesn't just tell us that, it adds to it. I found this incredible verse. I'm going to read it for you tonight. It's found in Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2. Check this out. It's in the message version. It says, but you, Bethlehem, David's country, the runt of the litter. You ever heard, O little town of Bethlehem? From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He'll be no upstart. No pretender. His family, what? Tree. His family tree is ancient and dignified. Now when I come to this verse and how I'm going to tie it into Xmas and how the story of Christmas is actually a pretty offensive story if you get right down to it. Because was Jesus' family tree really distinguished? Right? Was it of high character? Was it made up of people with high moral values? Were, were they drawn out and separated and just this amazing group of people? Well, let's check it out. If you brought your Bibles with you, I hope you uh, can turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have them, it's all good. These verses will be up on the screen behind me. But we're just going to read a, a few verses out of Matthew chapter 1. We have four accounts, right, in the New Testament of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Two of these accounts, Mark and John, just go straight to the story of Jesus. Luke actually starts with a story, but Matthew's interesting because he just starts with a list of names. I don't know, there might be many of you here tonight that you wanted to do like a Bible reading plan, so you start on the first page of the New Testament with Matthew chapter 1, you're starting to read all the names and you're like, what in the world is going on? And so the very first day you end up quitting and just shutting your Bible because you think it's just a list of names. Am I talking to anybody here? I don't know. But I know that this verse, the, these few verses, these names are so important to the Christmas story. Let's check them out. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Here it is. Matthew writes this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. i got to stop right here for just a second. So uh, Matthew was a Jew writing to other Jews. And right away, he wanted to show us that Jesus' lineage traced back to David. Because there were all kinds of prophetic words that said that the Messiah had to come through David's family. So right away, Matthew tries to make the connection from Jesus to David. Now, I kind of wish, and I bet a lot of the readers of the New Testament, when it was first written and first distributed, they really would have hoped that Matthew would have stopped right here. Okay, this is all we need to know. Jesus came from David's line. I don't need to know anything else, but Matthew does something interesting. Matter of fact, we're going to see that Matthew goes on to list a bunch of questionable characters, and this would have been so offensive to the readers that first read this, to those Jews in the first century. You see, history is written by people who could hire writers to tell their amazing story. Right? They, they want all their victories recorded. They want their sons and daughters who did incredible things, they want those things to be recorded. They want their conquest recorded. But if they have like a black sheep of the family, 
If they got a defeat in battle, they don't want those things recorded. It's like they put their best foot forward. It's like all you all on Facebook. That's all you all do. Put your best foot forward. You don't want anybody to see all the mess-ups, all the hang-ups. You don't want to see about Uncle Johnny over there that's now in prison. You don't put none of that stuff on there. You want to put your best foot forward. Well, this is not what Matthew does uh, when he lists Jesus' genealogy. Let's check this out. Verse 2, it says this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Man, let's start with Abraham. We might know Abraham as a guy who was the father of faith, who did many incredible things. But do you know that also there was a time where uh, Abraham was going through Egypt with his wife Sarah, and the king was checking out Sarah? He kind of inquired about her. And instead of telling the king the truth, Abraham made up, of a, made up a lie and said, man, this is just my sister. Now, if it wasn't for God intervening to save Abraham and Sarah, man, Abraham probably would have been killed and the king would have took Sarah as his wife. Now, those of you that are married, you know, you wives out there, imagine your husband telling somebody else to save his own butt, oh, that's just my sister. That's exactly what happened. And then we get to Jacob. The name Jacob, Jacob, it even means heel grabber. It even means deceiver. And that's exactly what he did. He conned, he cheated, he swindled uh, the birthright right out from underneath of his brother. And man, we're just only in the second verse. It's like, Matthew, what are you doing? Man, you should want to show Jesus in a great light. Why are you mentioning all these people? What's going on? Man, check out what he says, verse 3. It says this, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Oh, no, he didn't. For those of y'all don't know, Tamar, man, I don't have time to get into it. Genesis chapter 38, you ought to go read it. It's a crazy story. But Tamar actually dresses up as a prostitute, goes and sleeps with her father-in-law. Man, I'm just telling you, some Jerry Springer stuff, it is crazy. And here Matthew is recording these people in Jesus' lineage. It goes on, it says, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab. I love that name. Had another boy, that's what he'd be, Aminadab, I like that. The father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Man, two things you got to know about Rahab. Number one, she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Gentile foreigner, and now here she is in Jesus' Jewish lineage. Matthew, what are you doing? Why are you bringing her up? Not only that, I don't know if you realize this or not, if you were raised in church or not, but Rahab comes with a nickname. She comes with a title a lot of times when people talk about her. It's Rahab the prostitute. Matthew, why would you bring Rahab up telling the story of Jesus? Man, cut it out. Stop. He doesn't stop. Goes on, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, verse 6. And Jesse, the father of King David. Okay, Matthew, we're at King David. This is all you needed to do. Jesus came from David. Let's stop right there. But he doesn't. He says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He don't even mention her name. You got that, right? It's all been names up until now. Now this, now this girl only has the name Uriah's wife. That's her title. Because it was so scandalous. It was so offensive to even bring up. Here's Uriah's wife, and if you don't know, this was a blot on David's life. David was, David was on his rooftop, sees this chick named Bathsheba. She's bathing. 
He's like, man, I need to hook up with her, brings her in. He knows that she's married, but he does not care. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And to hide everything, he sends her husband Uriah out to the front lines of the battle to be killed. Man, talk about something crazy. Talk about a dark moment in David's life, this mess up, this mistake. Man, Matthew, why would you include that? I want to know David as this strong warrior. I want to know David as this conquering king. Man, I want to know David as the guy who beat up Goliath. Why didn't you mention any of that stuff? All you did was mention David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. You really got to tell me about that? Matthew, why did you do it? Why did you list all these names in this genealogy to get to Jesus? Well, here's why. Matthew wanted to show that Jesus came from messed up people to prove that he can be for messed up people. You see, if Jesus came from murderers, from adulterers, from liars, man, he could be for murderers and adulterers and liars and people that make mistakes. Because I'm going to be honest, we're all jacked up in one way or another. We all need God's grace. We're all sinners before we met Christ. That's why we need a Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God's love. God sending us a gift. And let me tell you here tonight that that gift, it doesn't go under a tree. This gift went on the tree. You see, speaking of trees, I, I got to get you to see this. If we go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, they were placed in the garden. And God said, you can eat of any tree that's here. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they didn't listen. They disobeyed. They took of the fruit. They ate of it. And when they did, sin and death entered into the world. Another result of that was that they were banished from the garden. And they missed out now on being able to eat from the tree of life. You see, I got I to gotta tell you tonight that ever since that moment... Humanity has been trying to get back to the garden, has been trying to get back to be able to experience the tree of life, but there is nothing we can do to get there. There's not a life we can live. There's not enough good things. We cannot do it in our own merit. God knew that he had to send his son, Jesus. This present, this gift of his son was, was so amazing. And, and check this out, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And, and I love this. You probably never heard this preached at Christmas. And listen, if you want a little story out of Luke 2, three points in a poem, there's a lot of churches around here doing that tomorrow. But we're going to get to the heart of the matter. It says this, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We've been healed. We have been set free because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me. Man, the names in Jesus' family tree, they remind us that in God's eyes, we are all 
on level ground. God doesn't prefer one race over the other. He doesn't prefer one gender over the other. God doesn't prefer one social class over the other. In Jesus, God only sees people. There's no room in the kingdom of God for racism, sexism, ages, ageism. There's no room of any kind for discrimination in the church. The church, this church, is for anyone. Regardless of age, color, marital status, social status, or anything else, we will not close ourselves off by offense. We will passionately pursue being unoffendable people because isn't that what Jesus did? He came from messed up people to show that he is for messed up people. And if Jesus is for messed up people, guess what? That means I will be too. You see, that's what's so offensive about the gospel. That this gospel, this message is for everyone. It's not something that also we can keep to ourselves. We need to share this message with our friends, with our family, man, even with the people that offend us. You see, if Jesus, as he was on the cross, the creator being crucified, if he can say, Father, forgive them, in that moment, we can forgive the people that have offenses toward us. It's called grace. It's called mercy. It's called the gospel. Man, I'm going to get Tim to come up and, and help me as I wind this thing down and close this thing out. I, I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he died a death on the cross and he took the punishment for sin upon himself. 2,000 years ago that happened. So today, I'm going to just argue with you that we do not have a sin problem. We have a belief problem. You see that verse said, to those who might become the righteousness of God. You have to decide for yourself whether you're going to receive what he did for you or not. Whether you're going to believe that it was his work, that it was his life, that it was his death, that it was his sacrifice, that it was all him and none of you. You see, our work is only to believe in the one who did it. And his name is Jesus. And I'm going to close with this tonight. And then we're going to go out of here. Man, we're going to go out of here just singing and celebrating. But I want to close with this. You know, I opened this morning or this evening just very quickly looking at Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And that verse says that the Messiah will come from Bethlehem. And it says that Jesus' family tree was ancient and distinguished. Now some of y'all probably thought, man, Pastor Shannon, as you was going through Matthew chapter 1, it didn't sound very distinguished to me. There were a lot of questionable characters. So why would Micah the prophet say that Jesus' family tree was distinguished? Check this out. Matthew chapter 1, what we read tonight very quickly, that was just Jesus' mother's side. You see, Jesus, his family tree on his father's side, oh, come on, somebody. He didn't come from, a, from an earthly father. He didn't have one because he didn't inherit an earthly nature. He had a heavenly nature given to him by his heavenly father, and he came not only as fully man but fully God so that as he hung on that cross, he could truly bring us back into right relationship with him. Only Jesus could do that. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say in verse 14 that the Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Man, Jesus came to live life just like we live life. He overcame, he was tempted every way that we're tempted. He had circumstances to deal with just like we got circumstances to deal with. He had family issues, oh you better believe he had some family issues, just like we got family issues. But I promise you, Scripture says that fear not, for I have overcome the world. I've given up my life. I've paid the penalty for it all. The work is finished. All you got to do is simply believe.